Baker, glad you're here. Uh, I have a p- picture I want to show you. I don't know if any of you will know who, what this is. Any, anybody have an idea what this is? A couple of you may. Uh, if you were around in 1958, you don't have to raise your hand if you're around in 1958, but this satellite was launched in 1958. It's called the Vanguard 1. It is now the oldest um, man-made object uh, that is orbiting the globe. Uh, it was launched in 1958, and they said when they launched it that um, its life expectancy was about 2,000 years. But after it gets up there and they begin to do some more research on it, they discovered that uh, it would only last about 240 years. And so if you go out today after church, look up in the sky, you won't see it. But it'll be there. And so uh, it'll, be, it, it'll be circling the earth for the rest of our lifetime probably. Uh, it only, only communicated with the, uh, with back to the, to, to the home base, you might say, for about seven years, but it's still there. You might ask, why, why bring that up? Well, we're uh, finishing a series today called The Launch. It is a series of teachings that we started way back in the first part of April, April the 8th, I think, to be exact. It was a series uh, where we have been looking at the book of Acts and how that God in the book of Acts began to launch his followers, the church. He began to launch his people into history. And, and since that moment, the church has been just instrumental in, in the world. Uh, in fact, the, the, the church has been circling the globe literally for the last 2,000 years. The church has been circling the globe. It has been making its way. It is... Um, it has created hospitals and educational institutions and so many things. But the most important thing that the church has done in the last 2,000 years is the church has been about the mission of seeing people come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and be committed, devoted followers of Him. All of those other things are important. All those other things that we have done, the, the hospitals, the educational institutions, all those things have been great. But ultimately, the purpose of the church has been so that people would come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and become followers of Him and be able to spend eternity with Him. In fact, um, as we begin this series in, in Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, um, Luke the writer says, but you will re- uh, speaking, uh, uh, quoting Jesus, says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so at the very beginning of this book, Jesus looks at his, his disciples and says, you will be my witnesses around the world. Today, as we finish, we come to Acts chapter 28. And we read um, this story of Paul, and in verse 23 it says, They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day, and then came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God. So from the very beginning of Acts to the very end of Acts, Jesus' followers have been about the mission of proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord and have been introducing people. They have been circling the globe, introducing people to Jesus. And so today, as we bring this series to a close, there's a few takeaways that I want us to, just to be able to walk away with at the end of this series. You, you, you've heard some of them. There will be some little new, uh, nuances that you may hear today. 
But these are the takeaways. These are the things that if we can actually do, we can see the world transformed. The first one is this, and that is that all of us have been commissioned to proclaim the kingdom of God to others. Absolutely all of us have been commissioned to proclaim the kingdom of God to others. Verse 30 says, He welcomed all who visited him, boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. So I, um, I begin to poke around a little bit with the language. I like to poke around with the language a little bit. And this word proclaim is, in the Greek, the transliteration of it is this word called caruso. And um, in the original language, in the original context, this word had with it this idea as the official word of the kingdom, you might say. Uh, The Caruso was the official word of the kingdom, of the king, of the Caesar, whoever was in charge. And um, this is before the Internet. This is before... um, you know, CNN and Fox News, where the press secretary comes out and, and gives the official statement of the administration, no matter whose administration it is. This is before those days. And, and what would happen is in these days, um, a herald, a herald would, would be someone who would run from town to town and would actually begin to proclaim this word, this official word that had come, in, that had come down from, from the, the top. And in this scripture, we, we hear that Paul proclaimed the kingdom of God. I don't think I have to work too hard to uh, convince you that um, all of us have been called to be heralds. That every single one of us in this room have called to be heralds. We have been called to go from town to town, from house to house, from neighbor to neighbor, from friend to friend, proclaiming the good news that Jesus Christ has offered them forgiveness and hope of salvation. And I'll be the first to say that um, I I believe that uh, oftentimes the way that happens, first of all, is just people see our life. They, They see our example. They see the way we live the things we do, the things that we don't do. And, and so I know that our witness, just the way we live our life, is very important. But lately God has been convicting me a little bit. God has been convicting me, and he has been reminding me that there comes these moments in relationships, there comes these moments in our interactions with people where we literally have to, with words, proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. In fact, the word gospel, this idea of of good news, carries with it this idea of a spoken word. This means that all of us should be talking to the people that we interact with on on a regular basis, proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. In fact, uh, Paul, who this story was written about, uh, writes a, a letter to the church in Rome, and in it he says some Some words I think are just pretty awesome. He says, For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And then he goes on to say, Blessed are the feet of those who bring the good news. 
How, how is the world going to know this message that Jesus Christ loves them, that He died for them? How are they going to know unless we actually tell them? Can I just tell you, this may seem crazy to you, but there are people in Grant County who have actually never heard the message. They have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ shared to them. This sounds crazy for us because we come to church a lot. We've heard it a hundred times, but there are people in our community who have never heard the message of Jesus Christ. They may have heard Jesus' name in some very inappropriate ways. But they've never heard the true message of who Jesus is, that he died for them. They may know of him, but they may have never even heard the true message that he came to save them. And we must be people. We must be people who actually go and share the message of Jesus Christ with the world. And I asked you, when is the last time you shared your faith with someone who does not know Jesus? When is the last time you have shared your faith with words with someone who doesn't know Jesus? Can can I just make it even a little simpler for you? I, I realize that even that idea is pretty intimidating, so let's break ground softly together. When is the last time you've invited someone to church that does not yet know Jesus Christ? When is the the last time you've had a conversation with someone and invited them to church? Someone who does not yet know Jesus. While I was on vacation, I I found a a, kind of a simple way to to do it. Well, God convicted me and I guess made it simple. But uh, uh, I combined shopping and sharing Jesus at the same time. That's a great way to do it, right? Okay. And so I was at... uh, or Amy and I bought something on Facebook Marketplace. Anybody ever buy anything on Facebook Marketplace? So we bought something on Facebook Marketplace, and uh, we was going to go see the people. Um, I tried to ease their minds and tell them I was a pastor and not an axe murderer, so that seemed to help a little bit. And uh, so Amy and I went to their house, and uh, as uh, we got the stuff, you know, b- bought the item we were going to buy, and as we, were, as we came home, God's Spirit really began to convict me and said, didn't even invite them to church. Do, do they even know? Besides the fact that you're a pa- you told them you're a pastor, they, do they know anything about you? And so I got back home, and uh, I don't know if this is, maybe it's against Facebook policy or not, I don't know, but uh, I just sent them another message and said, you know, I told you I was a pastor. I, would, I just want you to know, we would love for you to come to Brookhaven sometime. Um, I'll, I'll be speaking. Actually, we're going to be on vacation for a couple weeks, so, so we won't be there. I'll be speaking, but Amy would love for you to sit beside her in church. Now, I don't know. They're not in the room today. I don't know if they will ever come. But the question I asked you is, when is the last time you've actually invited someone to church that does not yet know Jesus Christ? We talk about it. You'll hear it before the service is over again. We talk about the 40,000 people in Grant County that don't know Jesus. Just start with one. Just start with one. Start with one family. Invite them to church. God's Spirit may already be working in their lives in ways that you don't even know about. 
See, the reality is, is not everyone. Not everyone is actually going to be receptive uh, to the message that we have to offer them. Uh, in fact, uh, in this passage that we read, verse 24 uh, says, Some were persuaded by the things he said, but others did not believe. Um, everything we know about the book of Acts, it would appear that Paul was a master at uh, persuasion. He was a master orator. He, he was a, a master in rhetoric. And yet, the Apostle Paul, the, the Apostle Paul still was not able to convince everyone to believe. The reality is, is not everyone is going to believe uh, in, in, in Jesus Christ. But, but that is not our responsibility. What is our responsibility is our willingness and our faithfulness to be able to engage in conversations with people. As, as most of you know, in our culture in which we live, more and more people are, are not only not believing in faith, they're actually becoming more and more standing in opposition of faith. So I'll tell you a story, a story of something that happened to me. Believe it or not, I was at a coffee shop. Anybody surprised by that? No one's surprised by the fact that I was at a coffee shop? Well, I was at a coffee shop, and um, me and Pastor John, me and... Uh, me and pa- I think Pastor Brian had, had a conversation, had a, had a meeting, and then me and Pastor John had a meeting. And while we were meeting, someone from this community of, of faith uh, came up and was talking to us, and they were talking about just some things that God had called them to do, some places that he had called them to go, some ways that, um, he was, uh, that they were uh, going to be serving God. And, and so this individual walked the head up and went to order their coffee. Well, someone who had been in, in, in Starbucks at the time had overheard our conversation. And as they walk up to get their coffee, this individual meets them at the counter and begins to really confront them on their faith, like right there in Starbucks. Um, me and Pastor John, as we kind of uh, debriefed about it later, uh, John called it uh, verbal boxing because they were just throwing punches. And the individual did a great job of, of responding in, 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 a, in a good way. And so that, that, that sort of played out a little bit. And uh, it just kind of put me off guard a little bit, you know. I'm like, it's Marion, Indiana, for goodness sakes. Uh, believe it or not, I was back in the coffee shop again. Surprise? Anybody surprised? Uh, this time me and Pastor John were in line ordering coffee, and this, this individual was behind us. I'm going to buy his coffee. So I turned around to, to introduce myself, uh, to, to say hi to him, and to uh, offer to buy him coffee. Well, he wouldn't even shake my hand, and he definitely wouldn't let me buy his coffee. And as I walked away, I was reminded and believed that my interaction with him was not over. Because, because I believe. I believe, and, and God really began to drill down on me, there is no one for whom Jesus did not die for, and Jesus died for this individual as much as he died for me. And I am convinced, I am convinced that, that God is going to work on his life. And I have just a, a, an idea. I've been having a lot of crazy ideas lately. Um, so uh, I'm not going to tell you his name, but we're going to go with Eric, okay? I want you, who would commit with me to pray for Eric? Anybody, anybody, 
Anybody commit to pray with me for Eric? Wouldn't it be awesome? This is just crazy. Wouldn't it be awesome if someday me and Eric and the other individual was able to stand on this stage and we were able to tell the story from a different way? <laughs> Woo! Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be awesome? Because I am convinced, I am convinced that the 40,000 people in Grant County who do not yet know Jesus Christ, that Jesus died for them just as much as he died for me. Scripture says that Paul boldly proclaimed the truth. I I, I was reminded of something that uh, the Apostle Peter wrote in um, in, in 2 Peter. Peter, he says, he's talking about the Lord's return. And he says, the Lord is slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. Listen, not wanting anyone to perish, but for everyone to come to repentance. I believe with everything I have. I would not be on this platform today. I believe with everything that I have that there is not a person in this room, there is not a person in Grant County, there is not a person in Indiana that Jesus did not die for and He longs to see them come to know Him as their personal Savior. And He and God backed it up. He backed it up by being willing to send His Son, His very own Son, to the earth to die on the cross For our sins, he backed up his understanding, who he was, and he is not willing that any should perish. The question is, what are we willing to do? What are we willing to do? What are we willing to sacrifice? What are we willing to offer? What are we willing to give up? What what things are we willing to give to God to say, "I, I am willing to sacrifice Because I believe there are 40,000 people in Grant County who do not yet know Jesus. I I want to share something that's not in my notes. Uh, I shared in the first service, and it wasn't in my notes because I I felt really God leading in the middle of the sermon to to mention this. And no one, like, killed me afterwards, so I'm just going to have that same confidence right now, okay? I was thinking... Just about why people in general, believers, Christ followers, why we give to the church. I mean, maybe both in our time and, and even specifically in our resources. What would it compel someone to give of their resources to a church? And I got to thinking. It's either just out of just a biblical mandate, like you feel you should, or it's out of duty or obligation. But there's nothing better than giving out of the fact that we believe in the mission absolutely so much. That we believe that the church, that God in His Spirit, in His leading, is working with the church, working with Christ's followers to see people come to know Him. And if we believe in that mission enough, that's what really makes us sacrifice. 
Not just out of duty, not just because we feel we should, but when we believe in the mission enough, that's what makes us willing to sacrifice. And I ask the question, what are we willing to sacrifice? Because church, I am broken every time I walk in town, every time I am about, and I make eye contact with people that I, I don't have any idea, or some of them I know, do not know Jesus Christ. And I ask myself, where will they spend eternity? And my heart is broken. What are we willing to do? What are we willing to sacrifice for the people who do not yet know Jesus? You see, we cannot use the excuse that not everyone is going to accept Christ as an excuse to not be able to do what God has called us to do. You cannot use that, church. It's not an excuse that's going to fly with me or with God. We have to be willing to offer all of ourselves. And if people reject us, we have done absolutely everything we can. You see, it is our continued witness that makes it possible for the message of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Verse 28 says, I want you to know this. Uh, Luke is writing, but he's really quoting Paul. He says, I want you to know this, that the salvation from God has also been offered to the Gentiles, and they will accept it. Uh, Paul is a Jew. Uh, in those days, for a Jewish person, there was two types of people. There were Jews, and there were people who were not Jews. So for a Jewish mind, when this word Gentile is used, um, it, is, it is indicative of the entire world. It is making a statement, and Paul is saying that the message of Jesus Christ has come for the entire world. Every year, every year in February, we have Missions Month. It's a great month. I hope you're already planning now to come. It's going to be awesome. However, um, if we claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, we're missionaries every day of the year. We're missionaries every day of the year. In fact, the definition of a missionary is one who has been sent. Which means all of us, as followers of Jesus Christ, have been sent. The the great um, preacher Charles Spurgeon used to say, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. We're either a missionary or an imposter. Listen. That should convict us all. That should convict us all because have, when is the last time we've shared our faith? When is the last time we've even invited someone who does not know, yet know Jesus to church with us? See, the early church understood that it was this exponential growth that had to take place to reach the world. It, it wasn't just the apostles sharing the faith that the disciples shared the faith with people who shared the faith with people who shared the faith. There's this exponential growth that takes place. And uh, claims historian Rodney Stark says that at the end of the first century, there was about 50,000 Christ followers. At the end of the first century, there's about 50,000 Christ followers. By A.D. 400, it really in a, in a fairly short amount of time, By A.D. 400, 
it's estimated that there were 34 million people who claimed to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. That did not happen by addition. That happened by multiplication. I am convinced. I am convinced that God wants to use Brookhaven Wesleyan to be part of a movement in our community. Part of a movement in our on your lifetime. I, I, I want Brookhaven to be a part of the mission until Jesus comes again. And, and I believe that the book of Acts is still being written because it is still being written in our lives every single day. I'm not, a, I'm not an English prof. Some people would say my English ain't even that good. But uh, there's this thing in, in English called an ellipsis, I believe it's called. It's these three dots. Oftentimes what happens is, well, they'll put them in between like quotations. It'll show that part of the, the, the quote is missing. Uh, it shows something is missing. Uh, sometimes in, in culture, I don't know how this plays out in English, but in culture we'll see three dots at the end, at the end of a sentence. It sort of just indicates that uh, there is more. While the book of Acts does not close dramatically with an ellipsis. The book of Acts closes with an ellipsis because the book of Acts is still being written every day in our lives. It's being written in conversations at Starbucks with someone who does not want to have anything to do with Jesus Christ. It's been written there. It's been written in your neighborhoods. It's been written at your workplaces. It's being written all over the world as the church says we are going to be engaged in the mission. The question is, what are we willing to do? Listen, for me, I am willing to do anything short of sinning to reach people with the message of Jesus Christ. Anything short of sinning, I am willing to do to reach people for Jesus. The question is...